0: GradCast, the podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Elizabeth Moeller.
1: And I'm your co-host, Gavin Talamedi.
0: And today we're here joined with Lindsay Grandy, who is a PhD student in the Department of Chemistry. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, how are you guys doing? Pretty good.
1: Yeah, pretty good for a Tuesday.
0: <laughs> yeah, to kick it off, um, just wondering if you can give us a little bit of an overview on what is the type of work that you are doing right now.
2: Yeah, so I study how copper corrodes uh, in particular uh, environments. So one of the most extreme environments uh, that I study is under uh, gamma radiation. So this work has a lot to do with um, and will be used to safely dispose of uh, nuclear fuel.
1: So, with, so you get to see how well copper is able to withstand the radiation that nuclear waste gives off as it's stored?
2: Yeah, exactly. So we like to understand uh, mechanistically how uh, copper corrodes and at uh, what rate, so we can accurately predict uh, the uh, behavior of the copper in, uh, in long-term environments.
0: So how do you go about studying that, Lindsay?
2: Uh, so there are uh, what we call a gamma cell. Um, it's a particular instrument that gives off this high energy radiation so we can mimic particular environments and then expose, uh, expose copper to radiation and then see how it, how it acts. A lot of, um, if I can expand on that, uh, uh, also uh, we use uh, very high radiation, uh, way higher than what that copper would be exposed to when we're actually disposing of nuclear waste. Um, And then we try and uh, sort of computationally model how uh, that will Uh, affect the long-term corrosion because really the goal of of what we're doing is uh, understanding how the copper will corrode in very very long times you know hundreds to millions of years in the future so that's it becomes a difficult task to do it experimentally but the experiments are meant to um, back up uh, computational models.
1: So how can the experimental uh, work back up the computational models if you have, you're have, you trying to figure out how copper can withstand the radiation for a time span of 100 years?
2: That's yeah, a really good question. Uh, so basically what we're trying to do, if we could all think back to uh, first-year chemistry, um, how we determine rates of reactions is by uh, determining what elementary reaction is determining the overall reaction. Uh, so That's really the goal of the experimental work, is to determine what elementary reaction is uh, determining the the, uh, rate of the overall corrosion. Um, It becomes a little bit complicated because um, at different time points and in different environments, different elementary reactions are affecting the uh, overall rate. that's what we're doing experimentally is determining that elementary reaction.
1: And those results you, um, cause when you compare them to the computational model, uh, so do you have to find a way to directly compare them? Or do you have to let the models finish running before you can figure out whether the experimental results can be compared to them?
0: So what we would
2: do is, um, we would model we would use a model and then compare it to experimental results to uh, verify the uh, accuracy of the model and then we would expand it to long term does that answer that question
1: yeah no that, that makes a lot of sense because uh, i'm guessing you can figure out do you get to see at what point the copper would no longer be effective at that point
2: uh yeah so really what we're trying to do is um determine uh the thickness loss or the or the mass loss so in order so if i can digress a little bit actually and explain how um, nuclear waste is uh disposed of so um there's a there's a canister in which we have the nuclear waste inside Uh, that canister is made of carbon steel uh, so just a, a strong steel and then that steel is coated with a later, layer of copper. So that uh, layer of copper is meant to be the corrosion barrier uh, for that nuclear waste that's uh, within the canister. So we wanna make sure that that thickness of copper uh, is sufficient for um, containing the nuclear waste. So with these models and these uh, rate equations um, and my experiments, Uh, we're trying to ensure that um, that copper doesn't corrode
0: enough to uh, let out the nuclear waste, if that makes sense. And could you, you mentioned a term, a rate equation, can you just kind of elaborate a little bit on what that is? Yeah,
2: so uh, the rate equation uh, would just be how fast the elementary reactions that are occurring, uh, how fast they're going. So it's an analytical or a mathematical um, equation to describe the rate at a particular time.
1: Okay, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's good for the listeners to get a good idea of what um, that would mean when it comes to figuring out how thick the copper layer would be.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So this has never been studied before. So because I thought they've been studying, I mean, not studying, storing nuclear waste for years now, and they've never checked to see how long it probably take? how long the copper would be able to withstand the radiation before it's completely eroded?
2: So they are, you're right, that we are storing nuclear waste right now. Um, but the storage facilities, it's more of a temporary thing, how they're storing it right now. What I'm studying is uh, the, Canada's plan for the permanent long term disposal of nuclear waste.
1: So how do they store them right now if it's only temporary? Is it just putting the barrels and they're putting a, a chamber underground until they have to move them again?
2: They're currently actually, uh, they're not underground. They're just in warehouses in uh, these concrete, yeah, big concrete buildings basically.
1: Okay, because I've always seen these like schematics of I guess these must be the planned storage methods of they take these barrels, um, a good few hundred, maybe maybe more. I might be getting the numbers um, a bit mixed up, like a few hundred meters below the ground so they can uh, keep them away from getting uh, leaking into the water table, the groundwater table, and contaminating uh, rivers and probably water supplies to nearby settlements. But then it's the whole question, I guess, with what you're studying is, can this be, can we leave the barrels and the waste down there for hundreds of years without having to worry if they're going to be, Uh, corrode through and leak?
2: Yeah, so what you're talking about is the permanent uh, disposal plan. The plan currently is to uh, use a deep geological repository. Uh, So it's basically like a big storage facility deep underground. It's actually 500 meters at least underground. Uh, So completely isolated from Uh, our groundwater and um, society just in general. Uh, And then there are multiple uh, barriers. So the one that I'm studying is the copper layer, but there are actually many, many barriers that are in place, both naturally, natural and engineered to uh, completely isolate that waste um, and make sure that it's, it's contained. Yeah.
0: So these barrels, how are they I know we we talked about this a little bit, but how are they stored and then disposed of in a way that's that's safe?
2: Uh, So because of the radiation? Yeah. Yeah, so um, currently uh, we have a lot of uh, robotics uh, to try and get the, handle the waste safely. Um, And a lot of research is going into how we can do everything that needs to be done uh, completely yeah, obviously, not putting any any humans in in uh, in harm harm's way because of the radiation. yeah.
1: And have you been able to get to see all this um, the storage and the transferring of nuclear waste to different sites in person, or have you not had a chance to go out there and see how the whole uh, process works?
2: Yeah, I've been very lucky in that I have been able to see. Um, at many stages, the uh, the storage facilities and um, the nuclear waste management organization. So that's the people that are in charge of uh, of the nuclear waste. I've been able to uh, discuss a lot with them and go to their facilities, uh, see mock ups of the DGR and the container um, and all aspects uh, related to the nuclear uh, waste disposal. There are a lot of projects as well that are going into uh, safely storing the uh, nuclear fuel, both now and um, in the future for the permanent disposal. So I've been able to also um, talk to and sometimes collaborate with other um, chemists and scientists uh, who are studying different aspects of the overall uh, disposal project.
0: And in terms of the permanent disposal of these barrels, could you kind of just expand a little bit more upon that? Uh, yep, yeah. so the permanent disposal,
2: um, of course, we need a way to store the nuclear waste that has been used currently. Uh, so as I was sort of explaining before, uh, Canada's current plan is to use the deep geological repository to permanently dispose of the waste. Um, yeah, the the use the use of a DGR a deep geological repository. Um, most countries uh, agree that this is the best way to uh, permanently dispose of this nuclear waste because it really is, uh, you know, a worldwide problem uh, or you know something that is a, a lot of countries are trying to address. So there has been a lot of research into uh, the best way to do that. Uh, Canada has. Um, particular plans um, related to, you know, the site of the Deep Geological Repository. Um, a, a lot goes into uh, the, yeah, the, the site because of the particular rock, so the uh, ignace or I forget the other type of rock that's not exactly my, uh, my there's, area. There's sedimentary and
1: yeah. this metamorphic.
2: Yeah, right, I, maybe it's sedimentary shouldn't quote me on that. But uh, yeah, so a lot of research goes into uh, the type of rock uh, that they're gonna put the deep, deep, geologic, deep geological repository in. Um, there's also uh, around the container, there will be uh, a clay box. So it's a, it's a bentonite clay box. Uh, and the purpose of that is uh, if any, uh, if it's ever exposed to water, uh, the clay will swell, and that will provide additional protection to the waste within. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's the copper layer, which is important for the corrosion barrier. And there are other how Canada uh, produces nuclear fuel. Uh, even the, the nuclear uranium pellets themselves are um, a way to keep the fuel contained because it's a, it's a solid pellet. Um, which means that it's not as equally or as easily, uh, I don't know, released. So,
0: and the corrosion barrier is what? Uh, that's the copper layer of the container. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. It, it's interesting that you mentioned um, the clay minerals being one uh, additional protective layer for the for storing the nuclear radiation uh, nuclear waste. Uh, Because I'm in the geology department, and I've occasionally heard how clades minerals are being studied more to see how they can be more efficient in being used to collect toxic elements that get caught in water and to also be used as insulating and protective layers to stop uh, nuclear waste from being leached into the environment. And um, a moment ago, you mentioned that you sometimes had a chance to chat and sometimes and collaborate with other scientists working on these types of issues, have you been able to collaborate with other? You said other chemists, but have you been able to collaborate with other scientists?
2: Uh yeah, not necessarily collaborate, but definitely there's a lot of different type of scientists that are uh, researching the same general problem, or you know, uh, with the same goal in mind. So there are definitely uh, geologists uh, saying the rock. Um, and uh, microbiologists as well within the, the clay. Um, yeah, and engineers, a lot of types of scientists,
1: yeah. Okay, because it's, it's always good when you hear that with uh, grad students getting to collaborate, uh, I mean even not collaborate, but yet even just get to chat with um, other scientists from studying similar topics in their field, because it gives you a good perspective of the bigger and smaller problems that are trying to be solved especially when it comes to nuclear waste, because I know it's a very controversial energy topic because it produces a lot of energy and it's cleaner than oil and gas and other fossil fuels, but it still has this long-lasting issue of where do we put the material that's produced from it. Does this conversation come up a lot uh, when people approach your lab or people approach you about your research?
2: Uh, It has definitely been a conversation that I've had to have a couple times. It's usually... Uh, more with uh, friends or family and less with uh, scientists, but um, it's definitely something that uh, the NWMO and um, like my PI and other professors have had to address. I think that uh, part of the NWMO is the organization, I'll just remind you that. is dealing with the uh, disposal of nuclear waste. Uh, They do a lot of work to try and educate uh, the community and particularly the community that uh, the site is gonna be in, uh, in the future, the uh, deep geological repository. Um, They do a lot to try and educate the general community about um, how we're planning on making sure everything's safe, because there is a lot of, You know uh, fear that comes along with just the word radiation or or nuclear Um, but there's a lot of science uh, that is behind everything that we do and uh, it's important to just educate
0: everyone on on that particular thing yeah you mentioned educating the community like what sorts of things um, have been done to educate the community around the the safety of um, nuclear waste I know they do a lot of
2: um, outreach, uh, particularly for um, people or like children, really, uh, who are interested in science. They they have sort of STEM programs um, that where they, um, you know, go and give talks and try and educate the next generation. Uh, But they also hold uh, community uh, meetings uh, where. Like sort of, you know town halls where people can come and ask questions uh, directly to the scientists who are working on this um, on these problems. So science communication definitely is a large part of uh, what what we do.
1: And have you been able? To, have you been able to get quite um, involved in the public engagement in science communication with these communities?
2: Uh, here and there. Um, I'm less of an expert, I think, than, um, my professor and other people, but, uh, I certainly try and engage with, um, yeah, with just general conversations, even like this one, you know, and just make sure that people know that it's not just, we're just dumping a bunch of nuclear waste in the ground. You know, we have an actual plan that is based around hard science.
1: I'm, guess, I'm guessing you must get the question this question a lot, or correct me if I'm wrong, let, let me know. But uh, when they ask, when you tell them, oh, I'm trying to figure out if the layer of copper is able to uh, see how long it can withstand the nuclear waste radiation, are you able to say that what companies are currently using now is sufficient, or are you saying that more work is required to figure this out?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, even the way you, you just phrase it and it's no fault of your own, but I generally don't phrase it like that. It's not that I'm trying to, you know, make sure this thickness of copper safely contains it. Uh, What we're trying to do is make sure, you know, we have a reasonable uh, corrosion, maximum corrosion limit, you know? So we we know that the amount of copper that we're planning on using I see we, but the NWMO is planning on using. We know that it will be fine. Uh, we know that um, we just more and more um, research is being done um, to make sure to you know prove to people and and prove to ourselves that uh, you know we know exactly how much of that copper will corrode.
0: So it's not really about how thick it is it's about sort of how much and how fast the copper is going to corrode in these barrels is that kind of close
2: uh yeah yeah so what is the thickness of that copper layer that will corrode mm-hmm. i guess gotcha.
1: gotcha okay okay that makes a lot of sense all right now i feel a little bit silly for the question i asked earlier no it's
0: okay. <laughs> We've all done it <laughs> so lindsay what um where are you sort of thinking you'd like to go next with your research? You talk, you've kind of shared with us where you're at now. Um, what are your plans in terms of what you'd like to do moving forward?
2: Uh, Career-wise? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you know, I, I really I'm quite passionate about what I do. And I think, you know, I think nuclear waste or nuclear energy is the at least a part of our future. Um, but I, I am sort of planning on switching gears after my PhD, uh, and going more into teaching, uh, teaching at a university level, mostly because I just love talking about chemistry. So, um, yeah.
1: Does that mean there's probably a postdoc in your future or maybe a slightly different route?
2: Yeah. So definitely postdoc is on the table. And that's only if I don't get a job. I'm currently actually applying for for teaching jobs to see where that goes. But um, yeah, a postdoc is a close second choice, I mean.
0: Is there something that, um, you know, we know that we're in this sort of um, pandemic world. Are you you able to sort of keep up with your research and do your research um, in the same way that maybe you would have pre-pandemic?
2: Um, It's definitely a lot harder. Uh, A lot of my, or all of my, you know, research is based on being able to get into the lab uh, and do experimental, uh, experimental work. So when the school shut down and since then, um, research, experimental research is significantly slowed. Um, So that's definitely made it harder uh, to continue uh, my research. But we're lucky enough, I think, that uh, we're able to go into the lab a little bit. So uh, I'm able to get experimental work done, uh, just not as much as as pre-pandemic, that's for sure.
1: What about the, um, the computational modeling? Are you able to do that at home or does it still require specific programs that you ha- that are only available on campus and in the lab?
2: Yeah, no, uh, definitely I've been able to do that at home. Uh, the, the computational model I'm trying to contribute to, but uh, it falls a lot more on, we have a postdoc in our lab. Uh, he does a lot more modeling. And I think that the grad students that come after me will probably do more, more modeling than I. Um, I'm definitely more of an experimental uh, experimental chemist. But I have been doing a lot more modeling since the pandemic um, because, yeah, it is accessible from home. So I've been lucky in that way as well, for sure. Do you need to use a special software to do that kind of computer modeling? Yep, so I, I use uh, the software Comsol MultiPhysics. So that allows you to input like we were talking about uh, rate equations and chemical reactions and things like that. And then, uh, yeah, model in that way.
1: Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's always interesting to hear about all these different comes kind of softwares to do different types of computer, mod- computer modeling in sciences and see what problems they can help solve. So I definitely have to ask what is it that brought you that, into studying nuclear waste and nuclear energy that, what is it about this field that fascinated you so much?
2: Um, yeah, so I think there's sort of two answers. Um, my first and possibly more boring answer is that I just think the chemistry is interesting. I think radiation chemistry is, um, uh, sort of niche and, and, you know, gamma radiation or ionizing radiation, the type that I, that I study right now is not generally, uh, you know, encountered on a day-to-day. So I just find that type of chemistry interesting. Um, But nuclear energy in general, I think, you know, I'm, I like to think of myself as, you know, somewhat of an environmentalist. I I think that nuclear energy is clean and really important in our future. If we're wanting to have a better environmentally, uh, you know, better uh, ways of getting energy in the future. So, uh, and I, I think that this research really contributes to, you know, the, the end goal is really positive for me. So um, when I, you know, was thinking about grad school um, and I came across this project, uh, certainly that really attracted me that the, the overall goal is something that's, I don't know, positive and, and contributes to society in such a positive way.
1: very timely yeah no that is (laughs) sorry
2: pardon
0: pardon? I just said very timely and very relevant you know yeah hot button issue in the news certainly with climate change uh conversations happening so yeah very timely and relevant for sure
2: yeah and I've talked to a lot of um you know my colleagues who are also uh studying nuclear energy in general you know at, at conferences and stuff and I find that that's a lot of the reason that most people are, are there, is that this is at least a part of our future. And yeah, what, what better uh, way to contribute to society than, um, it, yeah, studying nuclear energy.
1: Yeah. No, it no, is very good. And so, Lindsay, unfortunately, we are Uh, running out of time getting close to the end of our episode but before we go is there any social media handle or lab website you'd like to shout out for the audience
2: yeah so if you're interested in learning more about uh, what my lab does um, our lab group name is uh, radiation assisted uh, materials performance science Uh, so our group is called ramps Uh, you can our More information about what we do is at our uh, group website, uh, rampsgroup.org or you can uh, find me on Twitter at
0: DrLinds, D-R-L-I-N-D-S. Great. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. You've been listening to GradCast, the podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Elizabeth Muller, and joined by my co-host, Gavin Talametti, and we've been speaking today with Lindsay Grandy. If you want to listen to this episode, you can find us on YouTube. You can also find us at Gradcast Radio at 94.9 FM. If you want to get in contact with us, you can look us up on Twitter or email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and have a great night.